So for those of you who don't know me, um, I've been around now for about five years at Influencers and um, it's a joy to serve in this team with Pastor Ashley and Jane. I serve alongside Pastor Josh in many areas. I think last time I came here, I was asked to preach on tithing. So I'm not going to preach on that today. Every time I was asked to come here, it was all hard messages. So I'm coming here to love you today. Is that okay? Um, And so uh, in the last year... Uh, Pastor Ashley has asked me to lead the South Campus and get that into a building, which we are in now, and things are starting to flourish down there, and God's been very gracious to us. We're in a Seventh-day Adventist church. And I've got to tell you, I think I found some more godly men and leaders in those places and some other churches. But anyway, um, a great relationship with the pastor down there, and what a great great place to plant. They use it on Saturday, we use it on Sunday. It's fantastic. Sabbath every day. It's not a problem. So um, it's such a joy to be down there. I'm going to um, teach you today, if that's all right. Um, it's going to sound like a little bit of a lecture from a university, um, because that's probably my background. So if you've got pens and paper, take notes. Um, I'm really only going to talk give you three really simple points and they're going to come in the last five minutes. So it's going to be all leading up to go bang, 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 okay? And it'll all make sense. But can I just encourage you, um, what we're doing around Easter uh, is really important. It's the first time we've done this at Easter at home. And please understand what we're going to do there is that we are going to lead people to a conversation to have with you about Jesus, so the people that I would encourage you to invite are people that know you're one, know you're a Christian, right? Don't be, it's not like an Amway dinner, come over and have a dinner with us and all of a sudden you find out it's a sale. It's a big sale. We don't want that. We want people to know that they're actually coming to your house to celebrate Easter because you're a Christian, right? And our church is actually going to do something online that will love you to, to watch with us because if there's, any, if there's ever a time where people are open to hear the gospel, or open to celebrate Easter, it's, uh, celebrate Christianity. It's at Easter and at Christmas. The truth is, this is, my, this is what I think. I think if people don't believe in Jesus, they shouldn't have Easter holidays or Christmas holidays. Keep working. Anyway, that's between you and me. Um, but uh, can I encourage you, invite people around. And they're people that know you're a Christian, know what you're going to do. So, it's, so the conversation after is very easy. Right, it's not, oh, no, what do I do now? It's just, Pastor Josh is going to just lead them to the point of saying, you know, this is how I invited Jesus into my life. And why don't you have a conversation with the people you're, you're with in your room? Or maybe if you're by yourself, you could actually do, you can invite Jesus into your life as well. So we are leading them to a point of conversation about a life-changing experience. So start praying and think about the people that you can invite to your home for that. And I said to our South Campus, hey, if you don't feel as though you could do this by yourself, why don't you partner with someone else in the church, another family, and get them and, and you all come together. And that way it's just not about you and your wife or just you, but there's more people in the room that you can actually talk about this together. Amen? Very good. Well, this morning, um, as I was researching this topic I'm about to preach to you about, I come across a very interesting little saying, little thing. There was this preacher who found a shoebox in a closet. And he opened the shoebox and he found some very, very strange contents. Inside was an egg carton with five eggs in it. And also beside it was $10,000 cash. 
Who'd like to find that? And so when his wife come home, he was very excited, but he was really puzzled. And he went to her and said, can you please tell me what is this all about? I found five eggs and $10,000 cash. And she said, oh, that's really easy. When we got married, what I decided to do was every time you preached a bad sermon, I'd put an egg in the egg carton. And he felt really good about himself. I mean, they'd been married for 20 years. He'd been, I've only done five dud sermons in all my life. And he said, well, that's awesome. So can you tell me what significance has the $10,000? And she said, oh, that's easy. Every time you got to a dozen eggs, I sold them. <laughs> so today, uh, hopefully it's not an egg sermon, okay? Okay. Father, thank you for your word. We pray you've ministered to us in Jesus' name. On October the 2nd, 1864, one of the worst battles of the American Civil War was fought. 2,800 Confederate soldiers squared off against 4,500 Union soldiers. The battle was forever recorded in American history as one of the worst and bloodiest battles ever occurred on American soil. Sometime after the battle, an eyewitness testified to the wholesale slaughter of the armies of what happened that night. He reported that a, a renegade Confederate soldier walked up to a wounded Union soldier who was later identified as a man called Crawford Hazelwood. And he asked him if he wanted to be shot in the face or shot in the back. Unable to move and pleading for his life, Hazel was shot in the face. One would assume that this war, to the degree of which it was fought, was fought over some strategic value and it had significance that would bring the war to an end, but that wasn't the case. It had really no strategic value. That land didn't make such a massive difference and the war duration continued after that war. The reason for the battle was it was fought over a mineral. It wasn't fought over land, it was fought over a mineral. The battle was fought for a mineral so valuable that more wars had been fought over this mineral than gold. The mineral that I'm talking about is salt. One of the bloodiest battles in Civil War history was fought over salt in Saltville, Virginia. The last, that's the largest supplier of salt to the Confederate Army. The tragic story is this salt, this sodium chloride, chloride has been a precious possession for many nations throughout history. I didn't know what I'm about to share with you. Many wars have been fought for it. People have been weighed by it. Currency has been valued by it. And lives have been lost by it. Salt. We just think it's something that sits in a shaker on our table. Matthew 5 verse 13 to 16 says this, you 
are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its taste, how can it be made to taste like salt again? It is no good. It is thrown away and people walk on it. You are the light of the world. You cannot hide a city that is on a mountain. Men do not light up a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a table and so it gives light to all in the house. Let your light shine in front of men that they will see the good things you do and will honour your Father who is in heaven. There's so much in the Scriptures out of Matthew chapter 5 where the Beatitudes are written. Right, And this is at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says this. He says all about the Beatitudes. You know, ex, you know the verses and I could go on. But he basically says, you are the salt of the earth. He sums them up in these two things. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I just want to concentrate today on you are the salt of the earth. I want to show you through history and through context why salt is so important. So we're going to look at its history, its value, some of its applications and the power that it brings to change. Because if we really are the salt of the earth, then really what does that mean? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? And you think you know the answers, but let me show you contextually in that culture what it meant when Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. So imagine you've been employed to perform a service and you finish that service and you receive your pay, your salary, your supervisor who is really satisfied with what you've done for the week, and he hands you a bag of salt. Would you be outraged? Would you be satisfied with your salary? Or would you be thankful? The truth is, if you're a Roman soldier, you would most likely be very satisfied because Roman soldiers in that day got paid in salt. They got paid in a bag of salt. The English word salary comes from the Latin word sal, S-A-L, which is the Latin word for salt. So the word salary comes from the word salt. I think that's amazing. You might hear more. I couldn't believe all this. Salt was also considered, get this, to be, have a magical properties. Some of you older folk will remember this. Maybe your grandmother did this. There's an old Latin proverb that says this, there is nothing more useful than the sun and salt. Since it was essential for preserving food, spilling salt was a terrible waste that would surely come back at you with bad luck. Right? So salt was very valuable. You spilled the salt, it's like spilling money. This led to the belief if you had spilt the salt, that, that Satan or some evil spirit must have been standing behind you to cause you to spill the salt. So what you would do was pick up a pinch of salt and you would throw it over your left shoulder in Satan's eye or the evil spirit's eye. You'd do it three times to say, get away from me and throw the salt in his eye. Has anyone heard of that before? Because apparently evil spirits live over your left shoulder, but good spirits live over your right. I don't know. But that's not true. I didn't find that out. I've just made that up, right? So it was thought... The value of salt was so valuable, it was thought that it would also provide sanctification. In some countries, 
it is customary to greet newlyweds. Get this, Dan, when you get married, right? You got any no announcements today? Okay. It is customary to greet newlyweds with gifts of salt and bread. So when you get married, if someone gives you bread and salt, they really love you. It was customary to throw salt instead of confetti. It's like pitting the, the money on the, on the bride's dress, right? It was supposed to bring good luck. I presume they were assaulting them. <laughs> Roman mothers, get this, Roman mothers used to rub salt on the lips of infants to protect them from illness. Salt was so valuable that caravans carried it across the Sahara to eastern trading centres to exchange salt for gold, for ivory, for slaves and for skins. This is the value of salt. Salt bars were the currency in Ethiopia. They were pushed together, they were made like cakes and they were stamped and the stamp on them would be the value of the bar of salt. It was also a currency in Borneo and Tibet. So say, there's a lot of history here and it's last five minutes, just hang in there. So you think, where is Jesus in all of this? I will get to him. In ancient Egypt, some of the readings read this. There is no better food than salted vegetables. Other cultures added herring and beef and soybeans and cheese and anchovies and salamis if you're Italian and potato chips if you're Greek. The salting of greens preferred by the Romans, you ready for this, led to the word salad. S-A-L, salt salted vegetables that's where we get the word salad from do with salt there you go so the chinese had wars over it because the value of salt was so much their economy was in china the economy was based on it get this we wouldn't have bleach we wouldn't have parmesan cheese and we wouldn't have tabasco sauce if we didn't have salt <laughs> Gandhi, Marco Polo, George Washington, we've heard of those guys. They were all a part of, of the reason why they did what they did was because of salt. So I said, this is a bit of a universal lecture, but stay there. Right? You're, no one's written anything right now. I can get you. It's all right. Liquid bleach was only possible once the chemistry of sodium was unraveled. Tabasco was discovered because the, the family who created Tabasco sauce owned salt mines and when the salt mines ran out, they created, oh, we need to do something else. It was the Milhani family. Parmesan cheese, who loves Parmesan cheese? Me. It needs a week worth of sub submersion into a salt bath for Parmesan cheese to be Parmesan cheese. The salt, Gandhi activated his work in India because the salt taxes in India were so high and it pushed him to lead a revolution to independence. George Washington led the independence from England. It was partly because of the shortage of salt coming from England and so he led the revol revolution. There was all sorts of things that we, we are not aware of 
that is the power of salt. Did you know any, any town in England that ends in the word witch, W-I-C-H, produce salt? So when you visit England, you go to a Sandring witch or whatever, it is. I don't know, there's all these, I don't know what they're called, but it means that they produced salt. So let me show you the value of it. Did you know that we need 40 million tons of salt to fulfill our needs each year? Thousands of Napoleon's troops died when they were retreating from Moscow because their wounds could not be healed because they didn't have any salt. The human body contains four ounces of salt. Without it, or without enough of it, our muscles won't contract, our blood won't circulate, food won't digest, and the heart won't beat a beat. Without a doubt, salt is perceived to be the essence of life. Is it any wonder Jesus calls us the salt of the earth? We just think it's something that needs to come out of the shaker onto the food, and it does, but we don't understand when Jesus said to them, you are the salt of the earth, what went off in their mind to understand the value that God placed on them or Jesus placed on them to bring the gospel to people. So salt is used for three things. It's used for seasoning, to make something palatable, right? If you tasted food that doesn't taste so great and you put salt on it, so oh, all of a sudden it tastes good. It's to preserve things, to stop it from decaying. And it's also to cure things, to dry things out, to make it last longer. So obviously, just from those above three meanings, Jesus is looking for us to bring flavour to the world, to preserve the world and cure the world, to bring something that nobody else can bring except who we are because we are known as the salt of the earth. And here's the deal. If we leave the salt in the shaker, it does no good. The salt has to be poured out of the shaker to make a difference in the world. So there is a place of filling up and a place of emptying, a place of filling up and a place of emptying. I hate it when my shaker loose has no salt in it. Grind, grind, and you get to no salt, you know that next meal is not going to taste as good as the one you just had. Because of the value of salt. So here's three things. So I've said all that to tell you these three things. Number one, salt is highly valuable. You have no idea how much value Christ puts on you. Yet we devalue ourselves daily. We say we can't do it, we're not worthy, it's too hard, and we don't understand the fact that God sees us so valuable that He calls us not just salt of a place, but salt of the whole earth. In ancient times, men were valued by salt. Hence, we've got the saying, he's not worth a pinch of salt because they were valued by salt. 
We just think it was a nice little saying that Jesus said, but understand, He is saying to you, you are highly, highly, highly valuable. Without you, there is no flavour on the earth. Did you know the US Marines have a honour system and the highest honour system is to be called a salty marine. The term applied to the sense that the marine was always squared away, his weapons were always clean, he knew how to fight the enemy, he took pride in being a marine and he, uh, that pride shows in his dress, his physical condition and his preparedness. He is an excellent in spirit and represents the heart of the core. Can I tell you, I'm looking at a whole lot of salty Marines that God said, hey, you are the salt of the earth and we've got to square up, know our weaponry, be prepared to fight and know how to fight the enemy and take it to him, not to take it out, but to bring flavour to the earth. We're going to get a little bit deeper in a moment. To be effective, I've got to see myself as God sees me. I've got to see myself as, as valuable. If I don't, then what Christ did was in vain. I've got to see myself as highly valuable. I've got to see that, that if I don't see my value, I can lose my effectiveness. If I don't see my value, I can lose my saltiness. Does, God does not call you to nothing. He calls you to value he doesn't call anybody because he devalues them. He calls them because they are highly valued. Here's a few scriptures for you. Look at this, Psalm 8, verse 4 to 6. What is man that you should think of him? This is talking about us. Son of man that you care for him. You made him a little less than the angels and gave him a crown of greatness and honour. That's Jesus. You made him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. This is talking about Jesus. Like this is who he is. But then look at Psalm 139, your thoughts are great and worth, sorry, your thoughts are of great worth to me, O God, how many there are. If I could number them, they would be more than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. In other words, Jesus, this, the psalmist is saying, I'm getting an understanding of what you think of me, the value you place on me. If I could see all the sand on the beach, your thoughts are greater than all the sand, all the sand in the beach of South Australia. Do we have beaches here? Oh, we do, that's right. And the beaches of South Australia. So much more are my thoughts to you. So much more are my thoughts to you. This is the value that God places on us. Psalm 30, verse four to six. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise the holy name. For his anger only lasts a moment. Here it is. But his favour lasts a he is with you. He's saying, hey, salt of the earth, I value you greatly and I will never leave you. I will always be with you. I'm faithful to you. Hey, come on, understand who you are because I want to add saltiness to you. I want to thrust you out into the community because you're my salt on the earth. Without you, there is no flavour. You're highly valuable. You're his prized possession. Number two. Salt is a symbol of unity and covenant. This might surprise some of you. It did for me. In the Bible times, men understood the meaning of keeping their word with each other at all cost. 
they had a covenant called the covenant of salt. The covenant of salt. And what people would do in those days, just like we wear a money belt, they would wear a pouch around their loins and it was full of salt. And when they made a covenant with someone, what they would do was they'd take a pinch of salt out of their pouch and they would put that pinch of salt into the person's pouch they were making the covenant with and so would the other. They would put their pinch of salt in their pouch. And that was representative of my loyalty and my lifelong relationship and commitment to you in friendship and as a person. It was a covenant of salt. If they wanted to break that covenant, if someone wanted to break that covenant with you, they could, if only they could dive into your pouch and get every one of those individual grains of salt out that they took from their pouch into your pouch. The only way that could be broken, they'd have to sift through and know every grain. We laugh because we know it's impossible. So the covenant of salt was a lifelong commitment of relationship and friendship in spite of all that happened. Let me read to you this in 2 Chronicles 13 verse 5. It says, you should know that Jehovah, God, the God of Israel, gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever. So this is God giving the kingdom to David, to him and to his sons. Are we the sons? We're the sons. He gave them to his sons by what? A covenant of salt. So in other words, here is God saying, I'm giving you the rights of sonship and the rights of the, of the kingdom, and I'm going to square this off by saying to you, this is a covenant of salt. In other words, this covenant can never be broken. And you know what the, the people who made the covenant of salt would do? They would do this. To seal the covenant, they would sit down with some bread and some oil and some salt, and they would eat the bread and oil and salt together. A little bit like dukkah, right? They'd get the bread, dip it in the oil, and there you go. And they would eat, eat that. That would be the way in which they would sign off on this covenant and seal it. I love, I love typology in Scripture. This is how Jesus showed us how he sealed it. The Last Supper. They ate bread and salt together. It's a picture of the Last Supper. Here it is. The Last Supper, Jesus took what? The bread. And he said what? This is my body broken for you. So Jesus is identifying himself as the bread and he's already said earlier that what? We are the salt. So the typology of this covenant of salt is being celebrated at the Last Supper where you've got the bread of life and you've got the salt of the earth sitting in the one room celebrating what's about to happen around communion. His covenant and commitment to us is forever. We break bread with each other every day. Every week we just broke bread together. Our covenant of unity should be something that we strive for. Isn't it any wonder that the enemy tries to 
disenfranchise people's relationship and, and disenfranchise the church and break it down and disunify it. That's why Jesus said, above all, I'll strive for unity. Strive for unity because he knows in that unification there is covenant relationship that the enemy cannot break. The covenant of salt. My last point. When salt is fused together, it becomes a conduit. A conduit. Something passes through it. As we know, salt is an enhancer. When it is placed on the food, it brings the flavour out in the food. Here it is. It doesn't convert the food to salt. Stay with me on this. When the salt goes onto the food, the food comes through the salt and we taste the food better than what it tasted before. The Bible talks about the way the salt brings out the God flavours in people. This is so important when we come to around Easter because what we do is we want to put so much salt on the food, we want to give them so much of who Jesus is that sometimes it's more about the salt than it is about them. We just talked about the feeding of the 5,000. If that was us, and we fed 5,000 people, and there was a miracle, what would we do after it? I'll tell you what we'd do in church. We'd have an altar call. We'd say, come to Jesus. Did Jesus have an altar call after he fed the 5,000? No. Why did he feed them? Because they were hungry. Why did he feed them? Because he loved them. He was being salt. When he changed the water into wine, did he say, now you see my first miracle. Look at me, I'm Jesus. Let's have an altar call. No, he didn't. What did he do? He went back in the background and let them celebrate the night and the feast of the wedding because it was about the wedding. He did it because they had a need. Sometimes we focus on the salt instead of focusing on the people that God's called us to be salty to. For some of us Pentecostals, this is quite, oh, are you serious? You see, Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead and they saw the miracles and they thirsted after what he had. Why? Because he was salt on the food. He was salt on their life and all of a sudden they become hungry. The woman at the well, I'm going to give you water that you will not have to thirst for anymore. But it was actually something that he wanted to give them. He was salt. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, when we're salt, who do they see? Jesus. They don't see us. They see Him. I'm going to ask you a question. And this has been the big challenge that I've had in this season as I've been looking at the whole area of the church being the church in the community. I ask myself this question. Of all of my non-Christian, unsaved friends, and I, a person that would count in their top five friends, am I a person that when they're going through difficulty, they'd have me on their speed dial to say, hey, Steve, can I talk? 
Because Jesus was known as what? A friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. If we are the salt of the earth, then we can test our saltiness by answering this question. Am I known as a friend of sinners? Am I known amongst my friends that I'm one that they will turn to to help through difficult situations? You see, Jesus was found doing life with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He dined with them. He fed them. He created wine at their parties. He loved their children. He loved the broken. He loved the outcast. He loved the sinful. He satisfied their thirst by giving them living water. He fed them when they had no food. He helped them see by healing their eyes. He helped them walk by healing the lame. He helped them live by raising them from the dead. He calmed a storm that they didn't know that they, they thought they'd drown in. He gave them life so that they may have eternal life. Jesus did it and showed us what salt really is. He did it because He loved them. For God so loved the world that He gave. So loved. It's our theme for Easter, so loved. My question to me was, what do I so love? Or do I just love? Because if I don't have the word so in front of it, Without the word so, I'm not going to move to action. Because something, someone who so loves, they can't help but. They can't help but turn that shaker upside down. They can't help but read the circumstances. Let me encourage you, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're talking to people, don't listen to their words. Read behind the word. Read between the conversations and go, you know what, they're really hurting. They're, they're committed to memory and then maybe make them a cake or Bring them up and say, hey, could I take you out for coffee? I'm talking about practically being salt. Because if I understand my value, that God wants to use me to be valuable. I am so valuable that I can change anything. I bring change to people's world. And I bring out in them something they never knew. Remember, they're made in the image of God too, just like you. And I bring out the flavour of God in them. And all of a sudden, they thirst. I don't have to preach. I've already preached. They'll know you are Christians by your love for one another, for one another. Amen. Here's an acrostic for you. Jesus became salt to me because He saw me. He accepted me. He loved me. And He touched those parts of my life that needed healing. He showed us what salt is. You might be sitting here this morning. Let me tell you, He sees you. It's not by chance that you're here. He accepts you just as you are with all of your failings, with all of your faults, because, surprise, surprise, I've just got as many as you have. He accepts me. And when I know He accepts me, I understand that He loves me. And then I'm open for Him to touch the areas of my life that need Him. You are the salt of the earth. God has called us to change 
change the world, not by telling, but by seeing, accepting, loving, and touching. You may not know Jesus. You may sense something's been a bit weird in here today for you, if you've been here for the first time or you've been just journeying this. But let me tell you, Jesus sees you. He accepts you. He loves you. And He wants to touch you because when He touches you, everything changes. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I would love to give you an opportunity. Yes, this is a place where we give people the opportunity to receive Jesus. And it's simply this. It's believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, the Bible says. So I'm just going to ask all eyes to be closed and heads to be bowed. And I'd like us to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for dying on that cross. Thank you that you rose again. But ultimately, I thank you for loving me. And I want to respond to you by inviting you into my life. Come into my life. Touch me. Heal me. Restore me. Open my eyes to see you. This morning I make a decision to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just keep your eyes closed, head bowed. If you